Thanks for listening to Open the Word. Today, we're throwing it back and dusting off an episode from the archives. We've had some great conversations over a decade of radio ministry that deserve to be heard again. So you might hear some new voices and old references, but we hope you still enjoy these episodes. You found a place to belong here in the Circle of Friends. I'm Missy, and I'm with Gwen. Good morning to you, Gwen. Good morning, Missy. How are you today? I'm doing great, and I feel like, you know, we kind of put everything on hold, uh, you know, for a little while, and then we're coming back to something that we've already yes. talked about. So maybe as we look at First Peter this week, maybe we have to do a little bit of a review slightly, but yes. in particular, we want to look at chapters 3, 4, and 5 uh, as we finish that book. But I loved, I absolutely loved the week where we took time to just slowly go through First uh, Peter, you know, almost, I'm not going to say verse by verse, but almost, mm-hmm. and, and certainly in context and kind of getting absolutely. the background and understanding who Peter was, understanding who he was writing to, the, yes. the context of the, the letter itself and where it went and how people would have received that and some of the things they would have been going through uh, just makes a whole different, it just brings scripture to life in a way that maybe without that, um, there's certainly much more understanding and, uh, I don't know, it's just a little different light on scripture when you do that. Yes. Context is king. You know, you can't take a letter that was written at a specific time in a specific context to specific people by a specific author and interpret one verse out of it to mean whatever you want to apply to your experience. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't. Um, and even, I think we do that in our life with people. Like when you think of relationships with mm-hmm. people and say, you know, one of the verses that we looked at uh, in Second Peter, I think it was chapter two, where it talked about Jesus committing himself to the one who judges righteously and how mm-hmm. he didn't, he didn't revile against someone who reviled him. He didn't, he didn't retaliate. He didn't, he didn't, you know, kind of go down to their level. The way that you do that is, is this idea of seeing the bigger picture, seeing things in context. What's that person's story? What, you know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. At least what I've seen in my own life and the things that I've, I've gone through, even in terms of forgiveness and working through trauma from my past, understanding, ah, the other person's story and the context of where they're coming from. It doesn't make what they're doing right, but it makes how I respond look a whole lot different. Yeah. And I, okay. So I think what you're kind of describing is that every person's actions make sense when you know their story and what they were thinking inside and what was going on in their head at the time and how they perceive the situation. Yes. And, and you are absolutely right because those behaviors come out of a belief and that belief is formed by their childhood experiences meeting the information that they're perceiving and, and seeing and taking in, you know? And so in other words, they can't read your mind. They have no idea what's going on in your mind. Right. They only know the words that you've said and the body language and the posture. Well, the body language and posture that you might be doing might be connected with implicit memory from their childhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in their brain, they're going, oh, I know that eye roll. Oh, I know that yeah. shrug of the shoulder. Oh, that looks like a sneer, and I know what that means. Does that make sense? It, and so they absolutely. automatically kick in with certain beliefs that have been true in their experiences and make a judgment call on a situation. 
Yeah, and that-, that is implicit memory. That's that's the stuff that's not specific and tangible. It's the stuff that kind of goes along with all of those memories that we don't always we aren't always cognitive of, yes. cognitive of. Yes. I have a friend that calls it logical madness. Yes. There's a reason. When you mm-hmm. understand the reason, then the quote unquote madness makes sense. I, yes. I can recall being, um, my husband and I were uh, house parents for um, at a home for unwed mothers. And the young lady, she had said something and I didn't, I didn't catch what she said. And so I said, pardon me. I mean, to me, that was a very polite way of saying, excuse me, I didn't hear what you said. And she went into, like, she flipped out, like, totally lost it, like, literally uh, went into a rage. And I I was kind of left dumbfounded. Like, I, I didn't get that at all. And, it, yeah. you know, but, but think about it. If she didn't hear what I was trying to say to her, she heard, whoa, something totally different. Yeah. And it was, it was abrasive to her, and it was insulting, and it was offensive. And mm-hmm. I... In no way, shape, or form could have imagined that that's what I was saying or that she would hear that in what I said. Absolutely. So I I think that's true when we talk about, um, we talked a lot last time about culture and how we respond um, rather Mm -hmm. than react. And maybe what we need to remember is that people, maybe people have a reaction to things rather than a response. And until we know the context of that, um, we don't really have the whole story, do we? No, we don't. You know, um, I have a book resource coming to mind right now. It's called Anatomy of the Soul. Mm. Um, and it is a really good book. It's by Kurt Thompson, uh, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. And he is a medical doctor. Um, he actually has a background in neuroscience. Um, and what he's done in this book is he is a believer and who has taken how the brain functions from all these different perspectives and then tried to combine it with faith. And so it's a really interesting read. Mm. Um, I'm working my way through it right now, but the the comment about implicit memory was something he talked about the last time I was listening in on the chapter. I think I'm on like three or four. Wow. Um, I'm looking at the audible, audible audio book right now is uh, free with an audible trial. So maybe that's <laughs> something somebody would want to try. But honestly, yeah. that looks like an excellent book. Kurt Thompson, MD, Anatomy yeah. of the Soul, Surprising Connections Between Neuroscience and Spiritual Practices That Can Transform Your Life and Relationships. Wow. Yeah. Um, and one of the things he talks about in there, other than, you know, just this thing about implicit memory uh, so far, is he talks about, like, as you tell your story and you pull up, like, a trauma memory, for example, it's literally re-recorded in your brain along with the person who's listening to you, their reactions. Ah. And so it's forever changed by people's reactions as we tell the story. So when people get righteously angry at some offense that we've experienced, that memory forever is recorded along with this Mm. person's emotional response, which I find really interesting because that's where the healing comes in. That's really fascinating because there's a flip side to that too. And I think about, uh, you know, I, I buried the memories of my abuse, but there, there was a time that I did tell, told my mother, uh, and she did not respond well. Uh, and that, that shut me up, that shut me down, that, that, that closed all my memories down for a long, long time. 
um, some of them until she herself had passed away. So my dad yeah, passed away. It was safe to mm-hmm. open that back yeah. up. It's the passing of a parent who has had such a powerful impact either on the memories of trauma or on the trauma themselves. Um, when they die, there sometimes is a release and that stuff can open a lot easier. And whether it's that our brain was unconsciously just kind of protecting that person or, you know, just not going there because that person was still in our worlds. I'm not really sure always, but, um, there definitely is that impact that when a key person in our story passes that a lot of times it'll awaken or things will open Hmm. in the aftermath of that. Yeah. And I, I recognize too, that sometimes we see, um, see, say when you have children and they reach a certain age, maybe your abuse, all that, that's, that can stir up stuff as well. But well, Gwen, we've gone down a really, really dark rabbit hole here. I never, uh, intended to head that way, but it's <laughs> nevertheless. So we honestly, didn't. when we look at first Peter, uh, and this chapter, this may trigger a few people. I'm it, just going to say, might, uh, I'm just saying, uh, it's about submission and oh, truly there we go. A, we just triggered, <laughs> uh, probably half our audience. <laughs> yeah. So understanding that, you know, okay, mm. we, I, I, I get that your background, you, you may be, you may be reacting, redist, to, reacting that to that, mm-hmm. but this, this may surprise you in our discussion today about mm-hmm. what that word really means and what Peter is really saying here, what God is trying to tell us about submission and what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that we've spent a lot of time on the radio on this particular... We've uh, talked about it in pieces, I think, before. Yeah. Um, submission is a response. And so I think that's key to understand is that, especially within the church where husbands in Ephesians chapter 6 are encouraged to love their wives as Christ loves the church, submission makes sense and is kind of a brainless response. Mm. It's a no-brainer. When there is safe leadership, right. when there is a leader who is dying to self well, in this to ta- love his wife, this, then, then submission isn't a struggle. This takes me right back to the verse in First um, Peter chapter 2 right. where it talks about Jesus committing himself to the one who judges righteously. You want to yes. talk about submission. I mean, think about what Jesus submitted himself to in terms of, absolutely. you know, first of all, leaving leaving his throne in heaven and coming yeah. down and becoming He emptied human. himself. Yes, he did. Is something that's said in Philippians um, chapter like three or somewhere. Um the, the thing about this is the context before, submission's been mentioned a couple times in chapter two already, and I'd like to go there because that's a context going on here is it's a relationship where there's a leader and then there's somebody following. Mm, yes. Okay. And so um, that's already been established by the time we get to chapter three, where God, we're talking about the home itself. Um, and so let's start, and, and this happens a lot in scripture, there will be several examples and it'll either go from within the home to in the greater community, or usually the writer will start from the bigger community and then work his way down into the intimacy of a home setting. Mm. Um, And so you will see that a lot, especially in the letters, because these letters were to literally disciple, if you will, or mentor people in how to live out Mm. their faith Mm -hmm. in in relationships. 
all relationships. And so you'll you'll feel that addressed in all of them. So if we go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, um, we see in verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to the governors set up by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave for God. Okay, so you have this idea that even though you've been set free, you're still a slave to Christ. There's mm-hmm. still somebody that you're in a submission relationship with. Um, and so, and then we also see it down in verse 18. Um, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. And so we could easily, instead of servant in that context, probably put in uh, employee and a worker or, you know, or a worker and their boss or the owner of the company um, into that setting. Because in, in that day and age, servanthood a lot of times was like working for somebody, being an employee. And so you would literally put yourself in servitude for a period of time or whatever to work off a debt or for different things. Um, And so it wasn't always the way we understand being a servant today um, with this idea that you're owned. It didn't always have that in their culture. And the first thing we see in chapter three is this um, admonishment for wives to be submissive to your husbands. And that can have such a heavy uh, connotation and reaction Mm -hmm. from within the church, I think, sometimes. Um, Because I think there's, in the past, erroneously, there's been a lot of focus on the behavior of the wife and not as much put perhaps on Mm. the honor of the husband and how he is leading and guiding his home. Mm. Um, I think there's been a lot of perhaps abuse of that Mm -hmm. where a woman's been told to blindly submit to, quite frankly, sin um, and abuse. And uh, that is definitely not what God's word Mm. would support in any way. You know, and the the thing... I think what we miss sometimes when we go to this chapter is we miss chapter two, uh, because in the first verse, uh, a number of different translations say likewise or in the same way. Um, the passion says, and now let me speak to the wives. So he's he's continuing the conversation from chapter from two. chapter two. So it's not an isolated thing of oh, you your wife, you need to be submissive to your husband. It's not a I think sometimes uh, that's this is seen as a kind of a getting beaten down. But mm-hmm. listen to how the passion puts it. And now let me speak to the wives. Be devoted to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word of God, your kind conduct may win them over without you saying a thing. For when they observe your pure, godly life before God, it will impact them deeply. Mm-hmm. And let's just say these first two verses go right back to chapter two and Jesus Mm -hmm. himself, his example, and how when he was reviled, did not revile back. Correct. He submitted himself. He committed himself to the one who judges righteously. And I think if we can learn to do this in our relationships, even when there are those abrasive, and I'm not talking about abusive relationships. I'm talking about just the normal day-to-day, oh, you know, Someone does something and it's hurtful or, you know, unintentional as it may be. Learning how to 
give grace, offer grace. Um, let's just be frank. I've been married since 1975, I think, is when I got married. No, I apologize. That's when I met it. 1978 is when I got married. That's a long time. That is a long time. That's a long time to be married. Thank you. Uh, in that time, can mm-hmm. I just say, yes, there were moments mm-hmm. where, Absolutely. you know, in relationships, those things happen. And that, that's true for him. Two sinners. Two, yes. You're, you're going to rub each other the wrong way. Absolutely. You're going to do something wrong. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to say something you regret. What do you do with that? Well, right. I think this is really Peter saying, look, get, understand this. Follow Christ's mm-hmm. example that as he committed himself to God, that God would be the judge. Um, and, and this picture of a wife devoted to her husband so that the conduct that you have, it, what they see is a pure and godly life before God, and it yes. impacts them deeply. And, and I think this is a principle that can be taken into any relationship. Yeah. I mean, this is it, wife, husband, but right. obviously, but you think of Jesus, you know, he looked to the Father and submitted to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it can be parental, it can be boss, I mean... Chapter two talks about, you know, servant, master, employee, um, employer, um, all of these things, learning how to respond rather than react for a purpose. Yes. (laughs) It's not, you know, there's a purpose in it. And the whole thing of this, like, let me just telescope out a little bit and put chapter two together with chapter three, because I think we need to do that. Okay. So this whole section, he starts by submitting to government authorities that are put in place, whether they are good or not. Okay. Um, servants, he, he's talking kind of a work environment type thing, um, with masters, whether he's a good and gentle master or whether he's unreasonable. Mm -hmm. And then he moves into Christ's example. And then he, beyond that, he goes in the same way, wives. And kind of the idea here is some of these wives may not have come to Christ. They may still be Jewish husbands. They may be secular husbands. They, you know, um, and so kind of the idea here is even if they are followers of Christ, they're probably not all good and gentle. Um, And so kind of what's being challenged here is wives look first to your character. Hmm. Look first to, to you, you know, um, look first to how you're living because you know, it's, it's, it goes back to that being blameless. It's that same theme, you know, do everything you can do. You're entrusting, um, you're entrusting yourself like Jesus did to the one who judges righteously. Um, you're, you know, you're not responding in kind to things. So, you know, he just snipped at you and, and just went, Rah! <laughs> you know, right. you don't snip back. You know, you you are trying to model what Christ would have done. So maybe you're silent. You know, maybe you're looking for a loving gesture to do back. Now, ladies, I'm going to caveat this to say, if you are not safe, then you challenge and you love your husband from a position of safety. Mm. And I, I'm not going to compromise on that. Like, I'm going to be pretty firm on that. If you or your children are not safe, you are physically responsible for the welfare and well-being of your children. So if there is a threat to safety, you get out, you find a place of refuge, Mm. and you challenge that behavior from a position of safety. Okay? And and we don't... 
you're walking a fine balance here and you need help to discern where you're at. Mm -hmm. Okay. But this is not a license to flee your marriage. And I want to be clear on that. You flee danger and you challenge that unsafety from a position of Mm. safety, from a refuge. I love that you bring this up. One of the things that I've done in, um, Particularly in recent years, I've gotten phone calls from, uh, you know, somebody's given someone my name to speak to and, and wives who are struggling with relationships. And it's the, the thing that I say, the first thing that I say to them is live without regret, regardless of yeah. the relationship, you are absolutely called to love your husband. Now, what happens with that may look, the logistics of that may look a little bit different. If, 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 that is not a safe relationship and you've got to remove yourself, you can still love from a distance. You can yes. love with boundaries, You, but but you love, you respond, you don't react. And right. so some of that is, as you say, you, you need somebody walking beside you to help right. you make those very, very difficult decisions yes. and what, you know, what, what's the best thing to do in that regard. But again, you, you, you can only make choices for yourself. You cannot control someone else. So you have to make sure that you are doing what God has called you to do. So, I mean, it's obvious here, here is Peter saying, even if, you know, even if your husband is an unbeliever, they don't obey the word of God, or maybe they are a believer, Mm -hmm. but they don't obey the word of God. Your conduct is what might win them over without saying a thing. Because if you, it's your pure, godly life before God that will impact them deeply. Right. So how do you live a pure, godly life before God? That is not ignoring hurts or... Uh, Pretending they're not there. Right, exactly. Or, right. you know, issues in the marriage. That, it's not any of that. But, but it truly is, you know, being able to draw lines and boundaries, keeping your children safe, keeping yourself safe. But it, it's just as you said, it doesn't give you a license to, well, he's this, so he's not, he's not safe. So yeah. I'm, I'm just going to go the other way or to give up on something because someone isn't in the place where they need to be. Right. I mean, marriage is, it's hard and yeah. you've got to fight for it. And I'll say that again, you have to fight for a marriage. You have to, you have to be willing to, that's what commitment is. And I'm not suggesting if you're in danger or if you're an abusive relationship that you have to stay in that, but you are still called to love. Yes. So if you remove yourself out of safety's sake, you're still called to love and want the best for your husband, regardless of how he's acted or responded. And I'm going to go back to chapter two for context on that. You know, um, for example, do not use your freedom to cover evil. Yes. Okay. You know, um, you know, it talks about here, you know, Jesus, he had committed no sin and no deceit was found him. He was reviled. There was verbal abuse, but he did not revile in return. I, I think that is huge in situations where you have a husband who is disrespectful, verbally abusive, those kinds of things. Mm. You don't do the same thing back, whether you are in that home or not. You don't do the same thing back. Now, that doesn't mean you're pretending his behavior was okay, ladies. What that means is that you're looking at your children and saying something like, your dad is not making the best choices right now. And what he did the other day was not safe. So we are not going to be there while stuff like that is going to happen. 
So mommy is taking us over here because we are going to make sure you are safe. Mm. That is mommy's job. And so from a position of safety, we're going to see if we can find some people to help us challenge your dad on this. Um, We love him. And we are going to pray that God moves in his life and convicts him and changes him. Does that make sense? Like, Absolutely. Does that follow? Perfect and sense, and yeah. we're looking at our children and saying, listen, that behavior was absolutely not okay. We're not going to pretend it was. But we are going to make sure that we're safe and we are going to love your dad. Mm, yeah. As best we can as best from we where can. we are. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, as we're looking at this, I know we're at the end of our day today, but but let me just read down through here. Yeah. Uh, verses, uh, starting with verse three, let your true beauty come from your inner personality, not a focus on the external. For lasting beauty comes from a gentle and peaceful spirit, which is precious in God's sight and is much more important than the outward adornment of elaborate hair, jewelry, and fine clothes. Holy women of long ago had set their hopes in God beautified themselves with lives lived in deference to their own husband's authority. For example, our mother, Sarah, devoted herself to her husband, Abraham, even called him master. And you have become her daughters when you do what is right without fear and intimidation. And then here's verse 7. Husbands, you in turn must treat your wives with tenderness, viewing them as feminine partners who deserve to be honored, for they are co-heirs with you of the divine grace of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Wow. You know, we are actually at the end of our day to day, uh, which is kind of a crazy place <laughs> to stop. But, but think about this. This is not one sided. No, it's not. It's, it's not one sided. What, what is, what we're called to in a marriage, what, what God is calling us in our behavior, how we are to be submissive to one another. Um, and also, how our response can impact those around us. I mean, for husbands, their prayers could be hindered. For wives, you know, it may be a matter of, of helping their husbands see salvation. I mean, these are, these are huge. They're not minor things. They're huge things that are pretty amazing when you think of that, being, of, of being the vessel to cause that change, of God, you being God's vessel to be used to be the causation of change in their life. I mean, that's, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, we are at the end of our day today. Listener, we're going to come back tomorrow and get into more of First Peter chapter 3, and we encourage you to be with us. We've thoroughly enjoyed having you today around this table, and you have found a place to belong right here in the Circle of Friends. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia's Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, 
Order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed. Step back in time with a stay at one of the oldest buildings in historic Berlin, Ohio, the Worthman House. This charming building has a rich history with origins dating back to as early as the mid-1800s. The newly restored two-bedroom, one-bathroom suite has hardwood floors and gorgeous chestnut trim throughout. It is also outfitted with locally made Amish furniture. It can sleep six and offers a beautiful panoramic view of Berlin's Main Street. Its location in the heart of Berlin is an ideal spot for walking to various restaurants and shops. Book your stay at the Worthman House through VRBO.